Our second Bible reading this morning is Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table it is defiled, and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden! and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it would help me if you could leave that page open so we can keep looking at those verses during the sermon. Let's now bow our heads and pray for God to be at work through the preaching of his word. The writer of Psalm 119 says to God, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Father, as your word is preached this morning, we pray that we would taste its sweetness and recognize its goodness for our lives. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. The TV show the West Wing is about the twists and turns of politics, seen from the vantage point of the White House's West Wing, where the president's political staff have their offices. In the first season of the show, there's an episode where the president's chief of staff, Leo McGarry, forgets his wedding anniversary. It leads to a conversation between Leo and his wife, Jenny, about Leo's work-life imbalance. Jenny tells him, I don't want to live like this. Leo says, I'm sorry about the anniversary. I just, and then Jenny cuts in, it's not the anniversary, it's everything. It's the whole thing. She means his whole way of life as the president's chief of 
staff all of his time-swallowing duties. He says in response, this is the most important thing I'll ever do, Jenny. I have to do it well. She replies, it's not more important than your marriage. And then Leo says, it is more important than my marriage right now. These few years while I'm doing this, yes, it's more important than my marriage. Well, there's much that could be said about that scene from the West Wing, but the part that's relevant to our Bible passage today is the part where Leo says, this is the most important thing I'll ever do. I have to do it well. I have to do it well. His priorities are revealed by what he seeks to do well. And that's not unique to Leo McGarry. How can you tell what matters to you? Look at the things in your life that you seek to do well, as well as you possibly can. That will show you what matters to you. In today's Bible passage, it's as if the people of Israel are in Leo McGarry's position and God is in Jenny McGarry's position. The Israelites in Malachi's time are not seeking to worship God well, and that reveals their priorities. Their badly done sacrificing shows that God doesn't matter to them as much as he should. That's the situation Malachi addresses in today's passage, and it's not hard to connect this ancient text with our own lives. In our period of salvation history, we can also serve God poorly. And when that happens, we reveal that he doesn't matter to us as much as he should. So this is a challenging Bible passage, and we need those now and again. God doesn't want us to settle for low-quality Christian living and a shrunken relationship with him. He challenges us because he loves us, and he wants us to be the people he made us to be. There are two wake-up calls in this passage. Here's the first. Malachi rebukes Israel for blemished offerings. That's the first of Malachi's two wake-up calls. Malachi rebukes Israel for blemished offerings. I say Malachi, but I could equally well say God, because God himself is speaking to Israel through the prophet Malachi. Time and again in this passage, God calls attention to Israel's low-quality sacrificial offerings. Verse 7, you place defiled food on my altar. Verse 8, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Verse 10, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I will accept no offering from your hands. Verse 13, when you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer, them as, and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Verse 14, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Malachi, God's spokesman, makes it abundantly clear that God will not accept Israel's low-grade sacrifices. No one listening to Malachi could possibly go home and say to their wife or husband, that Malachi, I wish he wouldn't circle around the point. I can never figure out what precisely he's trying to get across. No, the point is made and repeated and repeated and repeated so that it cannot be missed. 
God has a problem with these blemished offerings. Now, it was regular Israelites who brought animals to be sacrificed at the temple, and God doesn't let them off the hook entirely, but he places most of the blame on the priests. At the end of the first paragraph, he says, It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. And we can tell that the priests are still in view later, because in verse 10, God says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Lighting those fires was the priest's job. So in verse 10, God is appealing to the priests. They should have known that blemished offerings would be unacceptable. In Leviticus chapter 22, there is a long list of all the different blemishes that would make an offering unacceptable to God. Blindness, warts, festering sores, injuries, deformities, and other blemishes. They're all itemized there in Leviticus 22. The priests were failing to put God's word into practice. But it's interesting to see that Malachi doesn't actually quote from God's law, as he could have done. Instead, he, appe he appeals to the priest's general life experience. He says in verse 8, When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? In ancient Israel, the governor received oxen and sheep and poultry from the people so that he could feed all the officials working in his administration. And it seems everyone knew that the governor would not be happy if he received defective animals. So Malachi appeals to the priests on that basis. They're bringing their A-game for the human governor of Judea and their F-game for the divine governor of the universe. That can't be right. The priests ought to have realized, even without the help of Leviticus 22, that God would not be pleased. And that brings us to Malachi's second wake-up call. Malachi reminds Israel of God's greatness. Malachi reminds Israel of God's greatness. Malachi's second wake-up call is related to his first. The first was to do with the problem of blemished offerings. The second wake-up call to do with God's greatness addresses the problem behind the problem. The Israelites are bringing blemished offerings because they've forgotten how great God is. Malachi is like a doctor who first tells a person about their disease, liver disease perhaps, and then addresses the problem behind that problem, excessive alcohol intake. In this case, the problem behind the problem is Israel's small opinion of God. When we began our series in Malachi two weeks ago, we saw that the Israelites were going through a tough time at that point in their history. Their province was just an insignificant morsel of the vast Persian Empire. They were vulnerable to interference from hostile neighboring peoples. The temple they built after returning from their exile in Babylon was pokey and unimpressive compared with the magnificent previous structure which the Babylonians had destroyed. And on top of all that, their crops were failing. It seems the Israelites have concluded that their God either can't help or won't help. 
Maybe he lacks power. Maybe he lacks love. Maybe he lacks both. And you can see how that small opinion of God might easily lead to poor quality worship. Since God doesn't count for much, let's bring him the animals that don't count for much. That seems to have been their way of thinking. So throughout the passage, speaking through Malachi, God reminds the Israelites of his greatness. God is zealous for his name. He upholds his own reputation. In verse 6, he says, Where is the honour due to me? Where is the respect due to me? And he criticises the priests for showing contempt for my name. His name, his reputation. In verse 11, he says, My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations. Then in verse 14, at the end of the passage, he says, For I am a great king, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God's greatness is also highlighted all through the passage by that title, the Lord Almighty, used in verses 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13, and 14. The Lord Almighty. Literally, Yahweh of hosts or Yahweh of armies. It's a title that communicates the staggering power available to God through his armies of angels. Jesus has Yahweh of armies in view when he tells Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you think I cannot appeal to my father? He would at once provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. 12 legions. There are 6,000 troops in a legion. So 12 legions of angels adds up to 72,000. Jesus is saying God could send him 72,000 angels immediately. That's the God we should have in mind when we see the title Lord Almighty, Yahweh of armies. And we see it in seven of the nine verses of this passage. The immensity of his power cannot be exaggerated. Alongside God's power is his love. It's there in verse 9, which speaks of God's graciousness. Verse 9 holds out the hope that if the Israelites do bring acceptable sacrifices, God will be gracious to them. The sacrificial system said to Israel, forgiveness is available from God. As we heard in Andrew's sermon last week, the God who could have wiped us out invites us in. He wants us to come in because he's gracious, generous, he's loving. Only a loving God would make forgiveness available. So Malachi addresses the underlying problem, Israel's low opinion of God by reminding Israel of God's power and his love, his greatness. You might perhaps find it a bit unsettling to see God praising himself, as he does, for example, in verse 14, I am a great king. After all, we don't like it when people do that. We prefer someone who's just won an Oscar 
to say in their acceptance speech, I couldn't have done this without my wonderful so-and-so and my beloved so-and-so and my amazing so-and-so. We do not like an Oscar winner to say, guys, you know what? I deserve this award. It's an honor due to me because of the sheer greatness of my talent and ability. If you win an Oscar, we have some actors among us. If you win an Oscar, please don't say that. It will go down very badly. But it's different with God. He and he alone has a free pass to declare his own greatness. Because human beings can't live properly until we see that the God of the Bible is a great king, worthy of honor in every nation. When God proclaimed his own greatness through the prophet Malachi, he was being kind to the Israelites because it was a message they desperately needed to hear. God had given them the sacrificial system so they could be forgiven, but they weren't doing their part properly. According to verse 10, their offerings were useless and unacceptable. By praising himself, God was seeking to open their eyes to his greatness so they would bring him suitable offerings, the offerings due to him. Only then would their sacrifices be accepted. Only then would they receive forgiveness. Well, it's time for us to think about how this passage applies to our own lives. In our period of salvation history, we don't bring animals to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. Instead, we depend on the final finished sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The sacrificial system was designed to point to him. That's why Old Testament sacrifices had to be blemishless. It's because they pointed forward to Jesus, who was spiritually perfect, a sacrificial lamb without any moral flaw. In our period of salvation history, we look back to the fulfillment of the sacrificial system in Jesus Christ, offered to God on the cross. That's how we gain access to God. It's by trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. His perfect life offered to God in the place of our imperfect lives. Forgiveness is available through Jesus. And if you're someone who hasn't yet trusted in him, please take this opportunity, the opportunity provided by this morning's church service to say to God, I need Jesus. I believe in the forgiveness he offers through his death and resurrection. I need him. I put my trust in him. Forgive me, Father, through Jesus. Say words like that to God this morning if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus. So the sacrificial system has been fulfilled. And yet, it is still possible for us to offer unblemished sacrifices to God in our period of salvation history. The writers of the New Testament use sacrificial system language 
to describe any act of service that we do for God. The Apostle Peter speaks of Christians offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Spiritual sacrifices, so not animal sacrifices anymore, but spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. In other words, when we praise God, it's as if we're bringing an offering to him. And since as Christians, everything we do should be done to the glory of God, to the praise of his name, it's right to say that everything an obedient, worshipful Christian does is a sacrifice to God. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, it's possible that's surprising to you if you've always thought of sacrifice as an occasional, costly, painful act of devotion. That's what you might call the street definition of sacrifice, a painful giving up of something you'd rather keep. Sometimes our acts of service will fit that street definition of sacrifice. Sometimes serving God can be painful. But the biblical definition of sacrifice teaches us that many sacrifices aren't costly or painful. Remember that verse from Hebrews, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. When we sing praise to God here at Good Shepherd, in our weekly service, we are offering up a sacrifice to him. I suppose if you're someone who doesn't like singing, that might be painful. But most Christians very much enjoy singing God's praises. So sacrifices aren't always costly or painful. In case you're still surprised by that biblical definition of sacrifice, it's worth saying there was a whole category of Old Testament sacrifice, the peace offering, also known as the fellowship offering, which was essentially a feast enjoyed with God at his temple. The fellowship offering was a very pleasant experience. So the New Testament teaches Christians to think of our lives as a sacrificial offering to God. And today's passage from Malachi chapter 1 is saying to us, don't settle for blemished offerings. As you live for the glory of God, serving him in all you do, offering your life as a sacrifice to him, don't settle for blemished low-quality service. We should strive for excellence with the help of God's Spirit. That might sound obvious to you. Manhattan is a high standards kind of place, I think, and Manhattanites are often high standards people. So it might seem plain as day that we should seek excellence in our whole life worship of God. But even though the aim might sound obvious, it is difficult in practice. Even with the help of God's Holy Spirit, we find it difficult in practice to raise our game from blemished to blemishless or towards blemishlessness. For example, some Christians who are eager to serve God, some Christians who would immediately agree, agree, yes, 
our self-offering should be excellent. They slip up because they take on more for him than they're really able to do. And so standards inevitably fall by the wayside. Their acts of service become blemished because they're trying to do too much for God. And it becomes impossible for them to do everything well. Malachi chapter 1 should make us think twice before we say, yes, I'll do that for God. Will we have time to do that act of service as well as it should be done? Perhaps Paul had just been reading Malachi chapter 1 when he wrote in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. What we do for the Lord should be done wholeheartedly, seeking excellence in his service. I think many Christians will agree, perhaps looking down at their toes, that they bring blemished offerings to God when it comes to their personal devotions, their personal Bible study and praying. Remember those words in verse 8. When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? I wonder if it's true of you that you study the Bible and pray with a kind of sloppiness that you would never display in the office, in your Monday to Friday work. The point here isn't that we should devote lots and lots of time to our personal Bible study and prayer. We may only have a short amount of time available for those things. The point is, do we use that short amount of time well, with excellence, with attention to detail? So when it comes to prayer, that would mean praying for the people we really ought to be interceding for, praying for their spiritual growth, and also perhaps specific practical needs. When it comes to Bible study, that would mean reading God's word with attention to detail, perhaps reading it methodically. There are seasons when everything I've just been saying will be overambitious. There are overambitious. There are seasons when all we can aim at is staying Christian by the end of the day. And it's essential to stress once again that while Old Testament Israel offered sacrifices to gain acceptance, we are already forgiven, we are already accepted through the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. We offer sacrifices to please and honour our God, our loving God. We don't offer them to gain access to him. Another possible pitfall with this teaching is judgmentalism, taking every opportunity to inwardly condemn other Christians for their low standards. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that you can see specks in other people's eyes while ignoring the great big plank in your own eye. You reach out to get their speck rather judgmentally and they have to duck to avoid your plank. So there are reasons to be cautious with this teaching. A point stands. 
We reveal our priorities by what we seek to do well. We honour God as our highest priority, as the great King in our lives, when we seek to serve him well, striving for excellence in his service, with his powerful help in all that we do. Now, we saw earlier that Malachi singled out the priests for criticism. They were the spiritual leaders of Israel, and in that particular role, they correspond to Christian leaders today. Malachi held the priests responsible for all the low-quality sacrificing that was going on. The takeaway for us is choose your leaders carefully. In all likelihood, they will set the tone for your Christian discipleship. If we want to bring blemishless offerings to God, it's best to have leaders who will model that for us, who will show us how to do it. And I'm horribly conscious as I say that, how far short I fall in that responsibility. The priests in Malachi's time were content for their people to be spiritual slackers. And as a result, the people were spiritual slackers. The same can happen in our time, in our churches. At some point in the future, almost everyone here will need to find a new church. Every year, people leave our church, they're leaving New York City, and they need to find a, a new church. When you do, remember Malachi 1 and think hard about the leaders of the churches you're choosing between. Will they hold you to a high spiritual standard? That's what Malachi would want you to think about. Washington DC pastor Mark Dever puts it like this, if you are looking for a good church, the role of the preacher of God's word is the most important thing to consider. I don't care how friendly you think the church members are, I don't care how good you think the music is, the congregation's commitment to the centrality of the word coming from the front, from the preacher, is the most important thing you can look for in a church." End quote. I think that's right, because Malachi 1 tells us that spiritual leaders set the tone for the people they're looking after, the people they're caring for, and in our day, you can tell from the weekly sermon what kind of tone the leaders are setting. You can tell from the weekly sermon where, whether they are content for their people to be spiritual slackers or not. Well, as we live sacrificially, offering our whole lives to God and seeking excellence in all we do, we'll need to keep refreshing our vision of God's greatness. It was Israel's low opinion of God that led to the blemished offerings in Malachi's time. God's greatness is more than the power shown in creation, although that does show his greatness. It's more than the power displayed as he upholds the universe day by day. God's greatness is seen most of all in his love, the love demonstrated when he sent his only son to the cross for our sake. Jesus, God's son, is the lamb without defect. And through his sacrificial death, we receive full forgiveness for all our blemished offerings. We'll close with verse 11. 
where God says, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. That prophecy has come true. At church meetings throughout the whole world today, people have brought their offerings of praise to the God of the Bible, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Across the globe, people will get up tomorrow to live a life of worship, seeking to serve Jesus well in all they do. That is the good life. That is the best life. It begins now and it will continue forever. It's what life will be like in the world to come, the perfect world God has promised, the world where we will see our blemishless Saviour face to face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenging passages in your word. We thank you that you are not content for us to be spiritual slackers because you know that the best life is the wholehearted Christian life. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you would keep stirring us up to live that life, to honour you and to please you. And we praise you now, Heavenly Father. We bring a sacrifice of praise to you now for your greatness and for your love shown to us in the sending of your Son to the cross for our sake, that we might be forgiven through the offering of that blemishless sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.